wouldn't even really interfere with like the financial lifestyle that we've set up for ourselves. Like because mm-hmm. we've gained this financial freedom where we're like sort of semi-retired at this point and we have those savings in the background, we don't have to think about things like, well, how am I going to provide for my family? It kind of mm-hmm. automatically sets you up for that, whether you want to have kids or you don't, or you're mm-hmm. undecided. Building up a, a surplus of savings and investments is going to set you up to have the maximum number of options available. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here, together with my terrific co-host, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. Can't complain. Sun is shining and it's like 70 degrees. So I am feeling good. How about you? I know we're about to go actually right after we record this, we're about to go camping down in Pinnacles National Park. And we're so grateful that the skies cleared up. We got blue skies, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to ask you about, I know you're planning, you're starting to plan an Mm -hmm. epic trip, a trip around the world Mm -hmm. with your family next year. Tell the Mm -hmm. listeners a little bit, and me, I don't know much about it either. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about what you're thinking. Yeah. So earlier this year, I kind of decided that it was something that we needed to do. I realized, hey, I got into this whole real estate game to, you know, be able to spend more time with my family, which I have, but haven't yet retired the husband. And I told him, Four years ago, this fall, around now, four years ago in 2016, we were selling our condo in the Bay Area. And I told him, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I said, in five years, we're going to be retired. And he <laughs> laughed at me. You know, he's right. like, yeah, right. Sure we are, Julie. Yeah. You're still commuting three hours a day. I'm still working. We have three kids. Sure. <laughs> and so I realized earlier this year that that goal, I was at like three and a half years. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's coming up, you know, in like a year and a half. So I need to get on this. And yeah, so just been kind of putting the pieces together. Uh, over the last half a year or so. And uh, yeah, just trying to map out, you know, where we're going to go first and how to do it. There's a blog that I came across. I can't remember the name of it, but it was such a good one because she just talks. So it's just a family of four, but she talks about how they took their year off and traveled around the world. And, you know, there's all kinds of little nuances, mm-hmm. like do you fly east to west or west to east or, you know, like what, how long do you spend in like what countries or like, you know, you spend some time in like less expensive countries so you can offset it with more expensive countries. How do you leverage credit cards and points to be able to fly your family for free? You know, and then just making sure we get all the places in that the girls want to go. And and so it's been the big talk around our house about <laughs> where we're going to go. And so the girls actually have their lists of, of all the places they want to hit. And we'll definitely have those in. And our goal is to leave sometime next summer, assuming, you know, everything that's going on right now with COVID would be done. Assuming that's all behind us, then we'll probably take off the middle of June next summer. So yeah. How cool when most kids are sitting around making their Christmas lists and your kids are here (laughs) making their wish lists of places they want to go around the world. Oh my gosh, that's so freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no better segue into our conversation today with some world travelers, Lauren Mm -hmm. and Stephen, bloggers at Trip of a Lifestyle. And what I love about their story so many things. But one thing in particular is that, you know, we talk as a society, I think 
we do a lot of like, we have a target in mind, like I want this trip and I'm going to save up. So I have enough money for that trip. Then I'm going to spend all the money and then, okay, I'm back to the square one. Now I'm going to save for the next trip. And you go on that cycle over and over again. And what I love about the way that you're planning your travel, as well as the way that Lauren and Steven travel is that it's not about saving up and then spending it all. It's about building a pile of money, as they call it, mm-hmm. that grows over time. And it never goes down. It just keeps going up. And you find ways to live within your means and to cut your expenses so that you mm-hmm. really are getting the joy out of the minimal things in your life. And mm-hmm. then that pile of money just grows and gives you more and more options over mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And I love the, there was one point that he brought up that I sort of, you know, circled in my notes that I think it was so key to, you know, where my husband and I are today and how we're able to to do this at, you know, in theory, a young-ish age. We're not 29 like our <laughs> guests were today. Darn those, you know, 10 years will get you, you know. But, you know, the one thing that he said was it was such an, an interesting strategy that he had said. And he had said, you know, if you take 50% of your income and you're able to save that every year that that actually buys you assuming you can live on 50% of your income that that buys you one year of vacation and so for every year that you can do that you're buying yourself one year of vacation and I just thought that is such an amazing way to inspire people to try to live within their means and to try to save as much as they can and and uh, you know cut corners because that's what we did in the early days when you know we were seeing a lot of friends spending tons of money on weddings and mm-hmm. you know travel before the kids came and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, now they're working jobs and they've got kids and it's hard to even think about, you know, taking trips around the world and things like that. So um, I just thought that that was just one of many, many tips that we talked mm-hmm. about uh, throughout the show that, that have allowed them to get to where they're at, which is, you know, traveling the world and having that freedom. So yeah, so many good insights in this story. And we really dig in, especially in the, the earlier part of the conversation into their finances and how they're able to Um, grow their wealth. So they talk about their strategy, which is largely using index funds. Um, And I love at the end of the the episode, he talks about for all the listeners out there, just pick a strategy, whether Mm -hmm. it's stocks, whether it's real estate, something that you understand, that's easy enough for you to get into to get started. So for all our listeners, Um, If you're curious about investing in real estate and in particular investing passively in real estate where you don't have to deal with the toilet emergencies and the tenant turnovers, but you can invest together with a group of other people into something called a real estate syndication, definitely grab a copy of our book. We've got a free copy for all of our listeners. Just text the word book to 41404. We'll send you a free hardcover copy. Um, We'll even sign it for you. You just pay shipping and handling. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Lauren and Stephen. Lauren and Stephen, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing good. Thank you. Great to be here. We are so thrilled to have you here. I, I mean, I don't know if our listeners know it yet, but they are in for a huge treat today because you both have such an incredible story to share. And from all of your travels around the world to how you're able to travel while growing your wealth, I think that's 
huge because most people think when they travel, they have to deplete their savings, but you're able to build your wealth at the same time. So we'll definitely dig into that and how you both, quote, finally left your full-time jobs at the ripe old age of 29 to live a semi-retired life. So there's so much to unpack here, but let's just go back to the beginning. Let's start with the road trip that started it all off. You both had just graduated from college, as I understand it, and you guys decided to go on an adventure. So tell us more about what prompted the trip and then what came out of that. Yeah, um, so our, our college road trip is definitely what started it all off for us. Obviously, the motivation behind that is, you know, celebration, because we were definitely happy done with school or sort of done with school, because I ended up going to grad school. But it was like the day after commencement, too. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we left like immediately. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple friends, like people who were in my program at the University of Florida who did like kind of a similar trip. And they actually really inspired us to do just a huge road trip, like all the way around almost all of North America. So yeah, we, we kind of just left without like any specific plan. And that trip where we just took like 45 days and just drove around kind of somewhat aimlessly. We had like an end point that we really wanted to get to. And well, back. they had gotten to Alaska. And so Stephen really wanted to also get to Alaska. I think there was some like boyish competition in that. <laughs> definitely had to get to Alaska at all costs. But not, not just Alaska, but the northernmost tip of Alaska. The Arctic oh, wow. We touched the Arctic Ocean. I, my hands, I have pictures where I'm it's very cold, but we did it, <laughs> even in June. <laughs> yeah. In May, and that trip was really, like, life-changing for us because we spent 45 days where we essentially had no responsibility and could pretty much go anywhere we wanted, and it was just the two of us with really nobody telling us what to do or where to be. And that kind of freedom for, you know, even just a month and a half was like, wow, how could we make that happen again in the future? So it definitely like planted some seeds yeah. um, in our minds. So just so our Sorry. listeners can picture it, where did you start this trip? And then what sort of route did you take? Did you have like a fancy RV? Did you stay in luxury hotels? Like what was the experience? So we started from Florida. That's where we're from. Originally, that's where our family is from. We went to the University of Florida. So we kind of left from this area and we were going westward. You knew at that point that we were going to the University of California, Irvine for his next chapter. And so part of our trip was also like, let's go see the campus because they flew Stephen out to go look at it, but not me. I wasn't we weren't married or anything. I was just the girlfriend. So we drove. That was definitely one of our stops. So we went westward first and then north to Alaska and then back down through Canada. We went over to Niagara Falls. We kind of, we made it kind of a landmark trip. We saw a lot of like iconic Americana, like landmarks. So we saw Mount Rushmore. We saw the Grand Canyon. We saw Niagara Falls. And Interestingly enough, being from Florida, we both had never been to the Florida Keys. So that was our last stop. We passed home, continued down all the way to the very tip of Florida and came back. So it was kind of like a perimeter trip. I had been to the Keys, but not on like my own terms. Like, okay, I didn't parents. know. This was, yeah, that was like our first. And at that time, you know, those 45 days, we had just finished school. I quit my job because I knew that we were leaving Gainesville. I knew that we were moving across the country. So it was really our first, like, no responsibilities either kind of thing. There wasn't, like, an assignment that needed to get done in those 45 days or, like, work freelance stuff that had to get done. It was really 
really freeing, as Stephen had alluded to before. It was kind of the first time that we were untethered. Mm-hmm. So then you finish this road trip, you get home, and then what did you say? Okay, well, let's just close the chapter. That was a nice trip. Let's you know print out some photos and call it a day, and we'll wait another year or so to take another short trip. Yeah, kind of, because I was going into grad school. We moved across the country to California. Lauren started a full-time job. That program was going to be how long? Like six years, right? Yeah, it was a PhD program. So that was like the plan at the time. Yeah. You know, six years of school. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, we kind of had it in our heads that like, okay, it's time to start adulthood. That was like a celebration of youth and college graduation and all that. I mean, we definitely didn't think like, oh, our lifestyle from here on out is going to be this travel thing. But for sure, it put like an idea in our head about like what life can be like. And it was just like a really, really cool time period. Mm-hmm. So did you guys, did you drop out of the program? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I... We're a few months away from that, sto- from that part of the <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah, so while we were in California, that's when like the gears started to kind of turn about like financial independence and investing and all that stuff. So I, I had a full-time job and he was earning a stipend. So we actually had like more money than usual mm-hmm. flowing in. Yeah, I mean, like normally, I guess, when you're a grad student earning like PhD stipend and, and you know, like a recent college grad at your first full-time job, I mean, you kind of think of that as, oh, those are the years that you're going to like struggle really hard financially and you're not making that much money and stuff. But honestly, for us, it kind of felt like we were rich at that point to some extent because... In college, we had gotten our expenses down really low, you know, living that like typical college lifestyle and just not spending a whole lot of money and, you know, sharing a small apartment and eating like Taco Bell as our fanciest meal and stuff like that. (laughs) So, you know, it felt like we were actually stepping up financially because having work like steady income, we ended up having even in California where it was expensive to live more income than we really needed to pay our basic living expenses. And the key to that was we didn't, we didn't really level up from that college lifestyle. We still saw ourselves kind of as, as just like college students. Well, you were a college student. And yeah, I guess technically <laughs> I was. So, so yeah, we ended up sort of immediately having like a surplus of, you know, I don't know, like a thousand bucks a month or something like that. I don't really know the exact amount, but we had like a definite budget surplus, right? Just, and some savings from college. So we started to kind of ask ourselves like, okay, well, what do you do with this money exactly? And so that's when like we started to just dip our toes into the world of like investing. So tell us about the intro into investing. You guys have some money. And I think this is such an interesting turning point because I feel like it was very similar for my husband and I too, where it was like we had done all the things. We had no debt. We were living very frugal. We had a bunch of money that was coming in and we had no idea what to do with it. And we talked to a bunch of financial advisors and everyone would say, well, you know, buy some stocks, buy some bonds, like, you know, stuff that would pay us, you know, serve us like 30 years down the road. And I was like, no, I want something that's going to serve me in my life today. And every financial advisor I spoke to never had the answer for me until I discovered real estate, which is, which is why we're here now. But it took me a good 10 years to discover that. So how did you guys fall into what you do now? Tell us about that story. Well, we kind of got together our first like $10,000 that we felt like we could deploy into investments somehow. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of like, as we learned about what investing is, and keep in mind, this is from the perspective of like a recent college graduate, we were starting to 
piece together like, okay, so investing is where you use your money and then it makes more money for you over time, like automatically, like interest or whatever, right? Like that's the way we're thinking about it. So, you know, we started to talk about this idea that like, okay, well, we should get started investing because eventually one day, I don't know how long it'll take or, or when, but eventually, theoretically, if you had enough in investments, the interest or income or whatever you want to call it from that could theoretically be enough to pay for all of your bills, right? So like it could one day replace our job. So we were kind of like thinking about a long-term view. We weren't thinking like, well, how can we use this money right away? So we thought of it as a long-term thing. And, and we actually went into a big bank and talked to a financial advisor there. And because we didn't really know that much about any of this stuff. And we figured that makes sense. So we went in and this person, of course, unbeknownst to us, works based on commissions. And, you know, their entire motivation is basically to sell you into something that gives them a big cut of it. And that's exactly what happened. So we ended up getting sold into, strangely enough, for 21 or 22 year olds, we got sold into a bond uh, mutual fund. (laughs) an actively managed bond mutual fund Mm -hmm. and had like a load fee and like a pretty high expense ratio and it didn't perform so good. But Mm -hmm. within like, I don't know, six or 12 months of that, we started to kind of read like blogs and stuff online and learn a little bit more about simpler, lower cost investing alternatives like index funds and stuff like that. And pretty soon after that, just because like I kind of became obsessed with it and started reading a lot about it we ended up getting out of that and getting into some better investments. But that's how it started out for us. We just walked into a bank and started asking some questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So note to anyone out there who's listening, do not walk into a bank or don't (laughs) seek a financial advisor because that's exactly what happened to me as well. And I, you know, back then, this was like 10, 15 years ago and they didn't have blogs everywhere, you know, fire and all this stuff wasn't like a big topic. And so I I didn't have those resources. So, you know, anyone out there who's listening is thinking, you know, I want to dip my toes into investing. Don't go to a financial advisor because they will never talk to you about the things that can actually really make you a ton of money because they're not incentivized to do so. So I love that. So then what was the next investment? So you did all this, you jumped in, you're doing all this research. What was the next thing that you guys did? So pretty much the next thing we landed on was our main investment vehicle that we still use to this day, which is just stock market index funds. So for example, like VTI, the total US stock market ETF, and like VXUS, like the international version of that, and then like BND, like the total bond market fund. So Mm -hmm. really like essentially that trio has has been our go-to for like pretty much since soon after we graduated college and it's done really, really well for us. Mm -hmm. How long has that been? Uh, Like eight years now. Okay. So for anybody who's listening, who may not be familiar with an index fund, so stock market, right? You go in and in the morning you buy something and then at the end, (laughs) somebody watch the ups and downs and you sell it at some point during the day, right? Is that like, is it fast paced? Is it like you really got to know the numbers and the ups and downs? So it could be like that, right? We don't recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) That's how most people think of stock market investing is like you choose companies who you think their stock price is going to increase and then you buy it and then you sell it once it's increased and then you try that again and again. And that strategy historically has kind of panned out to be 
a, a losing strategy for most people, especially most like non-professionals. Mm-hmm. It also is very time intensive and can be emotionally intensive. So these index funds that we're talking about, basically like if you buy VTI, for example, the total US stock market index fund, when you buy shares of that, you are buying a tiny piece of about 3,500 different companies, um, almost every publicly traded company in the United States at the same time. And you're just buying them at whatever today's market price happens to be. And so if you just hang on to those shares of that index fund for a long period of time, then it will have a tendency to rise in value and pay out dividends in accordance with what the overall United States stock market is doing. So you don't have to track any particular companies or read earnings reports or do anything like that. And it turns out that, you know, over the last century or couple of centuries, that's been a really, really winning strategy. There was like a study, right, where verse like doing index fund investing versus actively managed investing. Wasn't it like that turned out that on average, like index fund investing actually outperformed the people, the professionals who were actively choosing and, you know, making decisions just because on average you end up with an average and that's what the index fund does. So mm-hmm. I know it's always the, the unsexy, boring investments that do the best. <laughs> Everybody thinks like you got to get in and hustle and do all this stuff to make the big bucks. But sometimes it's, you know, like with real estate, it's, it's the same, you know, you buy it and hold it for a long period of time and you see that appreciation over time. Okay, so you started investing in index funds, which you still do today. Did mm-hmm. you have a goal in mind? Like, let's invest up to this point and then we'll quit our jobs and travel around the world. Or did you have a vision like that? Or was it just like, well, we found something that works. Let's just keep putting money into it as we can. We did set a net worth goal early on. So we kind of discovered, you mentioned FIRE earlier, the financial independence retire early movement. We did stumble upon that when we were doing this research into index funds and what the result of investing in index funds could mean, you know, depending on what your goal might be. And so that was really interesting to us. And we started tracking our net worth in 2012, I think, right? Or Mm -hmm. in, in 2012, and we still have the same tracking sheet today. So we have a graph from from that point to where we're at now and we track every month and that was kind of that's what kept us motivated kind of striving toward a goal and we did set a goal for for financial independence what like our you know financial independence number might look like how much money we would need typically that's calculated for 25 times your living expenses so we had set a number based on what that looked like for us at the time and we've been working toward that but something that's kind of changed about our perspective on that before is, you know, a lot of people in the financial independence community focus on reaching that goal, reaching that one number, that point to where they can be done. They can walk away, they can quit their job, they can take the vacation, and they're kind of all waiting for this moment, this perfect time. So you can finally be free. Right. (laughs) And what we discovered was that every new milestone, every step really every day that we save money brought us closer to that goal. And in doing so made us that much freer every time. So having any savings at all helps kind of give you that courage to take risks, to take steps toward the life that you want without having to reach the special defined point in time. So we decided not to go the route of work 
our current full-time jobs until we hit our financial independence number 25 times our annual expenses. A lot of people do it that way and kind of just rush toward that goal. We decided, nah, that's not going to work for us. Um, and we, we kind of felt a lot freer along the way. Like once you have like, say, $100,000 in the bank, you should feel the freedom from that. You shouldn't wait until you have a million dollars in the bank or whatever to feel free. You know, that just the smaller sum gives you a lot of freedom. And leverage. we actually acted on that number ourselves. Um, once we had reached a little over that, we took a honeymoon to Hawaii for six months where we had actually like quit our jobs and lived literally on the beach for full six months. And we were able to you know, something that we discovered that was kind of unique to, to our story as well is we didn't actually dip into our savings at all during that time. We worked a little bit of freelance work and that covered our bills literally just enough. I don't think we added anything month to month to our, every time we tracked our net worth, we're like, oh, same, same number, got it. <laughs> and, but what we found was like, we were so free. I mean, we were working probably less than 10 hours a week doing some like photography and some freelance marketing stuff and and some tutoring that Stephen was doing. And it kind of just cash flowed itself, the six month honeymoon. And we were like, wow, this works without that much effort at all. And we felt comfortable enough because we had that savings buffer to do those negotiations with our employers to quit our jobs to move and, and all of that. So that's kind of an example of feeling freer, even if you haven't hit like that magic number yet. I'm sure our listeners are pinching themselves right now. They're like, is this really spent six <laughs> months in Hawaii working 10 hours a week and cash flow? I mean, I love that. It's a cash flowing honeymoon. That's so fun. <laughs> That's so fun. So tell us a little bit. So we've talked about the some of the financial stuff that you guys are tracking and working towards. So tell let's talk about the other side. The let's go back to the travel side because I know somewhere along the way you started your blog, Trip of a Lifestyle. So how did that come about? So that was actually uh, really recent. Our, our blog's only a little over a year old. So our most recent adventure back in 2019 last year, we took seven months and we hopped in a tiny little camper van that we sort of converted ourselves and we drove around and visited every national park in the United States. That's um, a lot. How many are there? There are 62 now. There are actually only 59 when we started planning the trip and they kept adding more. So our goal got harder and harder. But we did do it. We did do it. As they added them, we, we fit them into our route and we, we were able to do all of them still. Wow. So, did you say in seven months? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is and so that, that trip also took us back to Alaska on our drive. We started again from Florida and, and kind of most of the parks are in the West and then more along the East coast. There's not as many like say in Nebraska. So we weren't really as much in the middle of the country again, but we did have to take some flights and leave the van in a few places occasionally because there are parks in Hawaii and American Samoa and the Virgin islands and um, five of the eight national parks in Alaska you have to fly to as well. So it definitely took some planning and it was much more costly because of those flights and having to stay in hotels there. But you know, that is, that was a big part of, of planning this time around. So that trip, you know, like I said, it was just last year, which is kind of toward the end of what you might call like our accumulation phase of like our financial journey. And so we were kind of starting to get this perspective on like, I guess what we had sort of accomplished. And we we're just kind of having a lot of long conversations in the van and talking about it. And 
that's kind of when our blog was born was on that trip we decided like man maybe we should write about this and like try to sort of educate other people and let them know like what's possible and like you know i don't know it, it was just kind of strange because we would meet people on on our trip just you know random strangers would tour do tours with and stuff like that and and people would ask us what we were doing and we'd tell them well we're taking seven months to visit every national park and people would say wow that's crazy did you like win the lottery or something like <laughs> that was like the number one question was like did you win the lottery I mean, like, specifically that seriously like at least five people said exactly those words like so did you win the lottery and it made us think like this is just something that that we did with just regular jobs like i, I was a teacher and a tutor and and like we just made this happen with just sort of a regular middle class lifestyle and people think that it's utterly impossible to do that that you have to be like born super rich or win the lottery to make it happen and so we're like maybe we should start telling other people about this and, and actually writing about it and so that's that's where our blog was born from it's, it's sort of wanting to help other people find that same freedom Mm-hmm. Oh, what a cool story. I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around visiting 62 national parks. You, you really got your bang for your buck out of that national parks pass. You're like those people at the buffet who go and get like <laughs> 10 plates piled high and then the buffet manager's like, oh. People too, to be fair. Like we definitely get our value whenever we can. <laughs> oh, I love it. We'll get back to our conversation with Lauren and Stephen in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Lauren and Steven. And so with your blog, so now that you've had your blog for a little while and you've been telling your stories and teaching other people, what are some of those common questions that people ask about this creating a lifestyle like this? What are some of the struggles that people are having? 
So I think a lot of people get really caught up in the idea that it's all about investing. And investing is a huge part of this. Like, obviously, you know, that's how long term you fund your lifestyle is, is the savings you've accumulated, you know, produce income for you in the future. But really, the fundamental part of, of sort of designing that lifestyle and figuring out your finances isn't so much the investing part, which scares a lot of people, I think, when they first start out. It's really the part about, well, how do you get the money to invest with in the first place? How do you cut your living expenses down and live like a college student and drive a you know, $4,000 car or, and share it between two people and live in a one-bedroom apartment? And, and how do you be happy doing those things and, and figure out that by doing those simple things and sort of not leveling up your lifestyle – how do you gain freedom from that? So like the perspective that I like to give people before talking about things like investing is just imagine for a moment that you were able to cut your living expenses down to half of what you make at work, right? If you were saving, just putting into a regular savings account, 50% of what you earn, if you somehow could cut your expenses down, what does that really mean? What that means is for every one year that you work, you've banked a full year's worth of living expenses. So the way I like to sort of frame it to people is for every one year you go to work, you get one year of vacation time. <laughs> so, and that's without investing, right? That's without earning a return on without your money. Compound interest. So really the power is not so much the investing part. That's part of it. The real power is the lowering your living expenses part. And being happy on that. I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with, the like keeping up with the Joneses mentality and like, how do I, how can, how can I be happy doing, you know, living frugally or like caring about these things? You know, it seems stressful or, you know, frustrating to care about like getting value and getting the um, price for something low enough. And, you know, it, it, those things add up even more than the investing side as Stephen was saying. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a deep and valuable insight. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I think you're right. So many times people are just caught up in that financial freedom number. Like this is the, the outward number that I need to shoot for. And they don't realize that a big part of that isn't just about the growth, but it's about lowering your expenses. Again, it comes back to the unsexy stuff that nobody wants to do, but it makes the biggest impact, right? And so now you guys have, you've done all this travel and you've sort of figured out um, ways to grow your wealth over time. So what's next? What does your life look like now and what's next for you? So kind of have slowed down a little on travel because of the like COVID-19 situation and all that stuff. So recently we got kind of bored of just sitting at home all the time. And so <laughs> we thought like, well, what could we do that would make our lives meaningfully better that doesn't involve travel for a little while and would also be like good into the future, right? So we ended up moving from inland, sort of north central Florida out to the east coast. And so we bought a little condo that's basically right on the beach. And uh, so now we live on the beach and we go for beach walks every day. And that's sort of our been our replacement for travel for the last couple of months. You guys have a tough life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you guys deal with it. I mean, geez. <laughs> seven months in Hawaii, seven yeah. months visiting national parks, condo <laughs> on the beach. I mean, I love, I love all of this because I think it's so true that so many people think, 
that you need to attain a certain level of net worth or a certain level of, you know, something to be able to live a lifestyle like this. And I love that you guys are basically reminding people that you don't need to to do that, to be able to, to live this lifestyle. Now I'm curious, are, and no pressure, but are you guys planning on having a family anytime soon? And if so, how will that change things for you? Because I know, you know, I've got three kids and um, we're trying to plan our trip around the world also for next year when hopefully all of this is done, but there's so much that goes into, um, you know, planning with kids. I don't know. Is that something you guys think about at all or not yet? So we are 100% undecided on that Uh it's like it's a (laughs) a definite maybe (laughs) but i will say that what's really cool about you know our current position in life and and all the things we've done to set up for it is that money is not a part of that question for us so we're definitely in a place where like i think having a kid would be very sustainable and and wouldn't even really interfere with like the financial lifestyle that we've set up for ourselves. Like because Mm -hmm. we've gained this financial freedom where we're like sort of semi-retired at this point and we have those savings in the background, we don't have to think about things like, well, how am I going to provide for my family? It kind of automatically sets you up for that, whether you want to have kids or you don't, or you're Mm -hmm. undecided, building up a a surplus of savings and investments is going to set you up to have the maximum number of options available, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whether whether the option you choose is to have a bunch of kids or have mm-hmm. zero kids or yeah. be retired or keep working, having a buffer of savings allows you the option of having all of those. You can have whichever mm-hmm. one you want. Whereas mm-hmm. if you don't put in that work ahead of time, you're going to feel a little bit more limited on which options you can take. Mm-hmm. Or feel comfortable taking. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm such an options girl. I love having my options. <laughs> That's like the big part of, you know, working toward financial independence. I feel like you do, you, you give yourself more options than if you didn't. I mean, every time that we've decided to take a big trip, we felt confident going to our employers and telling them like, this is what we're doing. We're not really asking for your permission. We're telling you what we're doing, but we're telling you ahead of time and respectfully and asking, you know, do you want to work something out? Um, mm-hmm. And um, but you you can't really do that if you're not in a position to be able to take that risk. And having that savings gives you the option to say like, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to walk away. Whether that's you know you, you love your job, you hate your job, toxic environment, whatever the case may be, relating mm-hmm. to your like normal life, your job, whatever, it does give you more options. And having those options gives you more freedom. Yeah, we don't really look at our savings and investments as like for a specific purpose. Like I'm Mm -hmm. saving this money for this vacation to all the national parks. I'm saving this money to buy this beach house. I'm saving this money for retirement. We don't look at our money like that at all. We just Mm -hmm. look at our money as a growing pile of options. And Mm -hmm. and the more of it you have, the more options you have. That's really all there is to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's so key. I think so many people miss that because they get caught up in that cycle of, well, I'm going to save up for this thing. And then I'm going to, once I get to that number, I'm going to spend all of that on that thing. And I'm going to start over again and save for the next thing. And I think thinking about it this way, where your money is never really going down, it's always going up. You just have to find the right vehicles and just keep, keep that disciplined lifestyle, that frugal lifestyle, keep your expenses low and keep adding to that pile. And then you got more and more options along the way. I love that. So I have a question. So 
for our listeners who are listening to this and like, I want it. I want a semi-retired lifestyle. I want that. So, but they, they feel like, ah, but I'm nowhere near that. I'm nowhere near financial independence. So what are some of the first steps that they should take to get on this path? So we have kind of like a roadmap on our website that like literally leads you through step by step that exact question. And, you know, it really depends on like your age and where you're at in life. So for- And your goals, like where you want to end up to. Sure. But if you're a very young person, you know, maybe even like still in school, I'd say the first steps are really focus on leveling yourself up first, like- get an education, get skills that are marketable, um, become a smarter and more educated person, right? But for someone who say is, is sort of past that uh, like basic education phase or whatever, say someone with a full-time job, so someone who's 25 or 35 years old or, or whatever age, um, the, the next step and, and the, definitely the next most important thing to focus on is getting your expenses under control. And because you know, earning more money at work pays directly, however much you get paid minus taxes, saving money on your expenses, you know, reducing your expenses in a permanent way, finding ways to spend less pays in multiple ways. And number one, it pays the same as getting paid more at work, except you don't have to pay taxes on it. And number two, uh, in terms of thinking about like financial independence, you know, achieving financial independence is supposedly based on 25 times your living expenses you need invested to become retired, right? Well, that's 25 times your living expenses. So by reducing your living expenses, you're actually lowering the goal that you have to reach at the same time as you are increasing the rate at which you reach that goal, right? So you're like doing double duty by reducing your expenses. So the absolute most important thing to focus on is reducing your living expenses and doing so in a way that doesn't make you unhappy. So what we've kind of found is, is that there's a lot of waste in, in people's budgets sometimes. And it's waste in the form that you wouldn't recognize that it's waste until you've tried it a different way. Like, for example, you know, a lot of people think that, for example, like twenty to thirty thousand dollars is like a normal amount of money to spend on a car. Well, that seems completely normal because a lot of middle class people spend that amount of money on a car. But if you actually commit to and try out a lifestyle where you drive around a five thousand dollar car instead, and you kind of just like really get into what you need to get done for that, like get a few like basic mechanic skills and, and learn where to look to get stuff repaired and maintenance the car the right way and stuff like that. You find that like, oh, wait a second, this car and the $25,000 car that I had before both get me from point A to point B at 70 miles an hour. And that's the thing that I'm really looking for in a car. The other features of a car are much less important than that one feature, right? And they <laughs> both do that. So you realize like, wait, it actually doesn't take away any of my happiness to downgrade. And, and I just downgraded to something that's one fifth or for some people, one tenth of the cost of what I normally pay for. Right. So it seems like sometimes you can't slash your budget because certain things are like non-negotiable. They're fundamentals of life. Like my car, I need a car to get to work. That's absolutely required for life. Right. Yeah. But there's a lot of room in what a car means. The same is true of your house. 
The same is true of your grocery bill. The same is true of a lot of different stuff. You just got to look at it through the lens of like, is it performing its essential function? Is it performing the thing that it needs to do in my life? Everything else is optional. And I would also add on to that the idea that you can do, you can take temporary measures. So I feel like some people think like, well, I can't afford to live in New York City, but that's where I want to live. And that's, you know, where my like dream job is, whatever it may be. Well, it might be cheaper for you to not do that right now and instead live somewhere more cost effective for a year or two, take a full time job, save that money. That way, when you get to New York, you have that those options, that buffer to find the right job, find the right place to live that you can make ends meet when when things get a little tough. And so I think, you know, a lot of people when they hear cutting your expenses, yes, it should lead to like a long term view of your life where maybe you question some of your consumerist behaviors, but also that some things, even if you don't want to do them can be done temporarily to give yourself that leg up. Mm -hmm. That's so well said. I think it's so much about your I love what you're saying about how it's not about giving up your dream. Or not about, you know, sacrificing the things that bring you joy. It's about really taking a hard look at everything that you have in your life and determining really the the critical piece of it. You know, what do you really need out of that versus what have you been, what's been part of your habits and what's the outward showing of that. So I think that's so valuable for people to hear. I feel like it's such a, everything that we're talking about, about cutting down expenses is so key. And it's something that I did as well. And, and, you know, when I first met my husband, I had an expensive car, I had credit card bills, I was like living the lifestyle. And then I met my husband, who was like still living at home, and had a bunch of money saved and paid all his credit cards off and all of this stuff. And, you know, and just like seeing how he was able to live such a free life, because he had so many options, because he wasn't tied to an expensive car or tied to all these different things was such a the beginning point really for he and I to start building our wealth together and and over the last you know 10 to 15 years that's kind of how we did it was really you know we I got rid of the fancy car paid off all the debt and you know saved I drove an old old 25 year old car for like a good two to three years and it, that's exactly what it did it got me from point A to point B was it fancy was it luxurious no it was not but did it work and did it get me where I needed to go? Yes, it did. And there was such a freedom in that because I was no longer afraid of like, you know, where I park my car or like getting into an accident or like somebody banging me because it was like, yeah, it's, an, it's like it was his family's like old car from when he was growing up. Like it was that bad. Um, yeah. But there was such a freedom in that, you know, in being able to, to live that way. So, yeah. It's really cool that you mentioned the part about, you know, not to harp on cars, but cars are like a really important part of cutting your expenses down for a lot of well, people. It's a monthly bill for so many people that yeah. doesn't need to exist really. Yep. And even if it's not a monthly bill, even if you're paying cash for a really expensive car, you're experiencing such depreciation, but it's a really, really smart point that you bring up that it's not just about what you pay for the car or what your monthly bill is or what the depreciation is or how much gas it takes or whatever. It's also a lot of other things you don't think about. Like you said, well, suddenly I wasn't worried about, you know, someone dinging my door when I park in a certain <laughs> parking space or stealing the car or whatever. Well, yeah, that actually frees you up in a really meaningful way because, for example, by driving an older car, you can suddenly drop comprehensive and collision insurance on that car and your insurance costs go down 
because you're not afraid. If you have a $2,000 beater and you got 10 grand in the bank, I mean, even if you only got 10 grand in the bank, you think to yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen? I total my car or somebody steals it out of the parking lot and what, I'm out $2,000? I can survive that, I can weather that storm. So getting out from underneath things like insurance and and even just everyday like emotional strain and and worry. Yeah. 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 It was huge. I mean, it was just so freeing. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was, I was actually sad if you can believe that when I had to let that car go, (laughs) I was like, not my, not my beater. The one that gets me from, I was commuting like three hours a day in that car. It was wild. (laughs) Um, Oh, sorry. No, go the, ahead. the other trick that we learned when we had a beater too, like on the same lines was that, you know, I know a lot of friends who are really particular about like which shop they bring their car to if something goes wrong, if something's malfunctioning. For us, when we were driving like really inexpensive cars, um, you know, we're not afraid in general to like just call some guy off Craigslist or yep. maybe ask the guy at the advanced auto parts down the street like, hey, man, you want to make a few bucks on the side <laughs> and do this work? You can get you can get auto work done that would normally be a thousand dollars for like a hundred and fifty bucks sometimes. Yeah, yeah our yeah. local auto parts store. We bought an alternator, and the guy was like, "Do you know how to do this?" And we're like, "No, do you?" And he's like, <laughs> actually, I get off work at eight, and so you know, like that that actually did lead to like he was actually a really nice guy. Turned out great. You know, sometimes Craigslist stuff can be a little sketchy, but that was a good experience. <laughs> but but if if we had a thirty thousand dollar car, we wouldn't even consider it. Right. Mm-hmm. The risk would too, be too great. But it's like, mm-hmm. what's the worst case scenario? If he takes a hammer and just bangs inside the car and destroys yep. everything, what? I'm out $2,000. I mean, yep. it's not the end of the world. Our car yeah. right now is a little more expensive because we still actually have our van from our road mm-hmm. trip. Uh, we bought it, you know, used. It's a 2013, I think, 2012. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's older, but it, it is like the most expensive vehicle we've ever had. And it is like super weird to drive <laughs> this really expensive thing. It, uh-huh. Really expensive to us anyway, because we're used to like the two to $5,000 car mark, but it has provided a lot. But it has served us well being able to sleep in the back of it and use it for camping, which we're going to try to do next month. Um, nice. So we'll see nice. how it goes. Yeah. What kind of um, uh, van do you guys have? It's a uh, Nissan NV200, so it's like okay. one of the most uh-huh. compact cargo vans uh-huh. on the market, similar to yeah. like a Nissan Tran- or a Ford Transit Connect. Okay. Um, they're made for like urban environments, so it's uh-huh. really tight turning radius, very small, literally just big enough in the back for a full-size bed. Stephen can like just extend his full body in the back nice. and that's like, that is it. That's, um, I mean. that's all we needed. <laughs> that's all so you that, need, was, yeah. <laughs> that was what we used on our road trip to the national parks last year and we kept it because we were like, you know, it might be nice to like keep doing this traveling thing. Um, yeah. And then it was COVID. And so we we're like, well, we'll just keep it still. It's pretty, you know, gas friendly. It's not, um, it's pretty economical. So we still have it here. <laughs> nice, um, nice. It's our only car between us. So it, it, we have to take it to like the grocery store and put our groceries on top of a bed. And people are like, what are you doing? But <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Okay. Before we move on, um, I do have a quick question. Do you guys at all use like credit card points or anything like that to help your lifestyle? Cause I know that's a big thing. A lot of people are doing these days. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Okay. Well, we gotta, that's, a gonna whole, be... that's a whole nother story that oh. we can even tell you. So uh, but. <laughs> we have a very extreme position on credit card points. So we, we have signed Darn, up. I wish for... I asked earlier. <laughs> <laughs> we can give you a quick overview. <laughs> we, we've signed up for now 40 different credit card accounts. 
Oh my gosh. And we've, we've made definitely over $20,000 in rewards just from cycling through those without spending very much money on them. Mm -hmm. um, so our general strategy is to pick a card with a very high sign-up bonus, regardless mm -hmm. of any of the other benefits. Don't even look at them. Mm -hmm. Collect that sign-up bonus as soon as possible and then get rid of that card and move on to the next one immediately. Yeah, if it, and if it has a um, like an annual fee or something, like really investigate whether there's some Value. need to keep it around. We usually mm -hmm. cancel those kinds of right. cards. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have like a whole manifesto on our website about how to do oh, this. Oh, I'll have to go <laughs> check that out. I will have to take a look. Oh, man. Okay, well, everyone who's listening, I know I wish I asked that question earlier, but we'll have you guys back for a part two to talk about credit cards because cool. I'm for just sure. getting into all of that right now. And we're on it. We're on it. My husband and I are on a mission. Like we're tag teaming <laughs> and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So I uh, love that. All right. So we're going to move into the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. So the first question is uh, investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments have helped you guys live a better life? So I, the th first thought that came to my head was the fact that on our road trip last year, we did cash flow it similar to our trip in Hawaii, where, you know, we were working, you know, some freelance work part-time few hours a week. We also rented out our condo that we had owned outright. So that was um, adding to that that income pile. And after we crunched the numbers when we got back from the trip, it turned out that the money that we made while, while on the road actually covered the full cost of the trip. But our investments growth also would have covered the whole cost of the trip. We didn't draw it down, but we could have if we needed to. And so I think seeing that those numbers, like, wow, we could have like, if we wanted to, we could have used our investment gains to pay for this trip. And then, you know, it would have you know, not like cost us that, you know, it wouldn't be writing a check for out of our own accounts. It would have been our investments paying for the trip. Luckily, we didn't have to do that. But that is one way in which like, our investments have made us feel more free and more able and willing to kind of take these um, longer travel sabbaticals, these more managed risks, because we know that our money's got our back, our investments have our back. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We're in a position now where over the last couple of months, we've also started to focus on building up that passive income and the money that's coming in from our investments to basically even out our expenses so that we don't have to worry about that piece of it. And if I work, it's because I want to and not because I have to. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's such a, such a great way to, again, give you options and have that freedom and the flexibility and the comfort really is, is to be able to do what you need to do without the worry always of like when you're traveling, like thinking, oh, what am I doing? I'm getting into a hole. I'm spending my savings. But, you know, really knowing that that, that cushion is there. So I love that. All right. Yeah, our, second quarter. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm just going to add on to that. Yeah, that, yeah definitely. Uh, at, we didn't really touch on like our own personal housing stories, but we actually owned our condo outright. We bought it for cash when we first moved back to Florida after Hawaii honeymoon. And so mm -hmm. that peace of mind also really helped us feel better about being on the road, um, knowing that there wasn't like a mortgage back home that we were mm -hmm. on the line for yeah. renting out our unit didn't cover its own costs. It just went into our pocket. So that was like another piece of that puzzle where our own investments, our house um, kind of paid us back. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. And we'll talk all day, Annie and I, about real estate and all the benefits and the way you can leverage real estate and all of that good stuff. Um, that's, that's how she and I are uh, you know, doing what we do. Stocks isn't really our thing, but I will look into VTI. I wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Second question is investing in others. So what's one investment strategy or life hack or travel hack that you might be able to share with the audience that will help them uh, catapult their investment journey or help them along their travels, anything like that? So I would say like in terms of investing, if you're kind of new to it or afraid of it, just realize that it doesn't have to be super complicated. And so, you know, pick an investing strategy that's easy enough that you will give every dollar that comes in a job when it comes in. You know, I think a lot of people allow their money to accumulate with the idea that like, well, maybe one day I'll invest this money or something, but I don't know enough about investments to figure it out right now. Pick something easy, whether that's index funds or something else, pick something that you know, you can confidently funnel money into on a constant basis and make sure that that money is working because waiting is one of the worst things you can do in the world of Mm. investing. Yeah. God, I love that. That's such a good one. The waiting piece of it. I think so many people, especially in our industry, get stuck in that analysis paralysis of thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know. Is it the right decision? I don't want to lose my money and, ne- and then end up never making a decision. The money just sits in their savings account. And as we all know, as investors, they're actually losing money, right? While that money sits there and they never made a decision. Um, I always say number one rule, never invest in an asset class or with somebody who you do not know like fully yourself, who you don't fully understand that asset class or that investment opportunity yourself without having to ask other people for advice and things like that. Because if you don't understand it, it's, it's just dangerous territory. So I love that, you know, making it very easy for people and saying, you know, pick something that, you know, is easy enough for you to understand so that you'll actually do right. Because that's the big thing is you gotta, gotta get in the game or else you're going to sit on the sidelines forever wondering when your turn is going to come. So I love that. All right. Last question is investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place? Well, uh, so because of our investments, because of our savings and stuff, you know, we don't have to spend so much time in an office and working. We, we still do a little bit of freelance work here and there. But since we have so much free time on our hands now, that's kind of what allowed us the freedom to actually start this blog and actually pour a lot of time. And it takes a lot more time than I think either one of us thought it would. But (laughs) producing content for other people to learn how to basically do the same thing that we did or something similar in in their own way. And so our mission is sort of just education for other people at this point. It was, it changed our lives so much um, to be uh, aware of, of this messaging and to, to dive into it ourselves, um, especially at a young age. I mean, we found it right after college that we said, you know, I, if, if every person graduating from college like knew about this stuff and could dive in at the same like fervor that we did, um, they could also have a, they could also retire by 30. They could also mm-hmm. like take these travel sabbaticals. They could do whatever they want to do really. And um, that was just like powerful to us. It was so um, life-changing that we wanted to like help others see mm-hmm. the light and hopefully yep. change their lives along the way too. 
Oh, yeah. Annie and I know that story very well and was the whole basis behind why we have this podcast, why we have Good Egg Investments, and why we do what we do is, you know, as mothers, just knowing that what we do can totally transform families' lives. And uh, so totally understand that point as well. So Lauren and Stephen, I know we've heard a lot of your story, but you have so much on your, on your blog, inspiration and practical tips. So we'll definitely direct our listeners um, to your blog, Trip of a Lifestyle. Is there anything in particular on your site, any resources you want to direct people to? The best place to go when you get there is pretty obvious. It's a big, bold link right on the homepage. It's our financial roadmap. And it's kind of like this six-step process to take you from honestly take you from high school to early retirement if you wanted to to go that whole distance and for us that was um, well not from high school but from college graduation to living this lifestyle is only eight years and so in that you know you could do something similar in that same time frame awesome well lauren and steven creators of the blog trip of a lifestyle lauren and steven thank you so much for being here with us for sharing your journey and sharing your wisdom with our listeners Thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.